is the Mulberry Lane Show. The Mulberry Lane Show. Exclusive interviews, fun, music, celebrities. Your weekend getaway. Now, here's Mulberry Lane, Rachel, Bo, and Ellie Cat. Be a part of the family. Hey, it's Rachel here with your radio sisters, Bo and Allie. And it's time for the Mulberry Lane Show. Well, great to have you with us along for the musical journey today. You're in for a great ride with a couple of twists and turns. That's right, Allie. And we're so happy you meet us here every weekend for your dose of music, arts, and lifestyle here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Mm -hmm. Well, it's officially summer. We're going to turn up the heat with the guests stopping by today. Here's the list. The Mulberry Lane Show's on Celebrity story songs You're gonna have it going on When we tell you who's stopping by now Up first is Nebraska's own Matthew Sweet Now you know him for his hit albums Girlfriend and 100% Fun Cause you need to Get back in the arms of a good friend And I need to Now, Matthew covers a lot of ground with you today, lots of songwriting chat, like the power of the feeling. Plus, you're going to go from songwriting to tech to movies to secure attachment to the benefits of being from Nebraska. Matthew will definitely draw you in in this intriguing interview. And you'll find out about a movie he was very instrumental in. Take a journey with Matthew today. You'll love this guy. That's right, Bo. And then catch Matthew Sweet in concert at the Bourbon Theater in Lincoln, Nebraska on June 30th. Okay, sisters, who's next? Well, then it's platinum-selling Israeli singer-songwriter Nanette. Now, Nanette has recently moved to L.A., where she's restarting her career. In Israel, she's recognized everywhere she goes. She was one of the first winners of the Israeli Idol Contest, has won MTV Music Awards, numerous hit albums, and is a household name in Israel. When she moved to the States, she's starting over with her career and releasing an album called Paper Parachute. You're going to hear all about her climb to success and how she loves living in the States because she's no longer recognized and how that has been really refreshing for her. So this is a different take on fame and art, and it's quite interesting. I think you're really going to enjoy hearing from this very talented singer-songwriter who has found her happy place and her musical niche. Mm-hmm. A solid interview today with Nanette. All right, sisters, who's next? Okay, well, long before the Grammy nominations sold out performances at Carnegie Hall and Hollywood Friends and Lovers, Ryan Adams fronted a band in North Carolina called Whiskey Town. And that's when tour manager Thomas O'Keefe stepped in. Today, you're going to meet Thomas O'Keefe and his new book called Waiting to Derail, Ryan Adams and Whiskey Town, Alt Country's Brilliant Wreck. You're going to hear stories from the book. Thomas really pulls back the curtain on what went down with Ryan Adams and Whiskey Town. Get served up some rock and roll stories in this interview. All right. Before we throw out the first pitch of the show, everything has been about the College World Series. It's a baseball, softball time of year. Exactly, Rachel. And I have to say congratulations to your daughters, Lily and Willow, who both won their softball tournaments this week. That's right. In spite of the rain, and my limited athletic ability, they managed to win their tournaments. <laughs> yes, Rachel, they pulled it off in spite of that. They sure did. And Ali Luke made it pretty far in his baseball tournament. Yes, he did, but they were
were finally eliminated and they lost their second game. But it was cool because after the game, Luke said to me, Mommy, I never lost hope because if you lose hope, you're just losing even more. Wow. So I thought that was a pretty cool thing. (laughs) Second grade philosopher. I love it. Yeah, I felt so bad about the loss. But when he said that, I was like, that's a win. You must be doing something right. It's his mom. One can only hope. Going to hit a home run with Nebraska's own singer-songwriter, Matthew Sweet, coming up right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Keep hanging out right here with your radio sisters. Music, celebrities, and everything in between. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, this Nebraska native rewrote the rules for power pop in the 90s with hit albums like Girlfriend, Altered Beast, and 100% Fun. Now, Matthew Sweet has done the music business his own way, and fans and critics continue to dig Matthew's ever-expanding originality, proving that if you build it, they will come. And you can catch Matthew at the Bourbon Theater in Lincoln, Nebraska on June 30th. Catch up with Matthew right now. Matthew Sweet swings by Unorthodox original He'll take you on a sonic ride <laughs> That was amazing <laughs> I've done a lot, a lot, a lot of interviews over the years And I've never had such a great introduction That was really cool, the singing oh, Awesome you. to hear it, great to have you with us Good to be here Okay, so looking back on all your albums Is there one album that you can point to Where you felt like you grew the most As like a writer or musician? The most pivotal one for me and that stands as the one people kind of care the most about is Girlfriend. Uh-huh. And, you know, I think there was a big change for me then because I think I understood the power of the feeling over kind of the technical and the sound. You know, learning a lot about how to record and sing with myself and do multi-tracks. You know, like when Drum Machine first came out was when I was kind of a teenager and starting to record. Mm-hmm. So it was like, wow, a machine where I can make a drum track and then I play the other things already so I can sort of make it really seem like a recording. And I've always been a person interested in sort of tech and the future and all this. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I learned a really fundamental thing, which was at this one point in my life, I kind of abandoned the sort of building the skeleton approach and just did some stuff where I played drums even though I wasn't very good and did all this stuff. It just felt a different way that was like, this is a good way for me to do it, you know? Uh It made sense. The manager has been my manager ever since, you know, at that time also did something that was really important, which is he said, oh, it reminds me of Neil Young and Crazy Horse. And, you know, I knew who Neil Young was, but it was kind of before he really was raised up again by kind of new music as this icon and everything and I thought well I know I have a weird voice or whatever you know (laughs) he was like no I mean like just the feeling of kind of the music and how it's recorded and he sent me a bunch of tapes of you know it's hard to imagine with no internet what it was like you know (laughs) (laughs) sent me these mixtapes of those Neil Young records and I was like wow this is amazing and it just changed so that kind of validated the path you were on it did. I mean, it's almost like I stumbled on it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now, are you the type of person that is disciplined in sitting down and writing songs, or do you kind of wait for inspiration and go with it? Sort of both. You know, when I know I need to do some writing, I'll have little ideas out of the blue. Oftentimes, when I'm not playing an instrument, I might just be running around doing something else, and I sort of record those 
And if I am needing to do some writing, I'll also sit down every day with an acoustic guitar and just come up with some idea. But once I'm getting into writing, I will do a couple things. I'll keep doing that. And then I also will kind of go back through those things and see what grabs me. I might spend a minute, you know, quote, writing, unquote, okay. in a, and everything the song will be kind of comes from that. You might not know playing it for someone, but to me, yes. know what it will become, sort of. Mm-hmm. I try not to think of writing as a big, scary thing. You know, to me, in a weird way, it's almost, like, too easy. It kind of made me feel like I didn't do anything, you know, because <laughs> it sort of comes from the air in this strange way, you know. Mm-hmm. When I start to think about things a lot and construct things is when it just kind of makes me bored or something. Okay. Now, how often do you have a song that you really believe in and you feel it, but then the production is going in the wrong direction and you're losing it? That's and th- what it is. Yeah. You know, I don't have a lot of patience to like rework one thing, so yes. I just don't think I can control that. I mean, that's one great thing about over-recording. And when I say return to basics, in a way I mean the way I used to do it, which is when I started out, I would make tons and tons of demos at home. Nowadays, the quality's so good, I just can record pro recording at home, you know. In the beginning, I made all these demos, and then I chose what to record on very expensive studio outings by picking the favorites of those batches, Mm -hmm. and then we'd pick an album out of it. Okay. Nebraska-based singer-songwriter Matthew Sweet here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Now you've, you know, constantly reinvented yourself, done new projects. You've worked with Susanna Hoff. So how did that come about, that collaboration? Well, Susanna I met way back. I met her on the telephone with my friend Fred Marr when we were making Girlfriend. I've always loved girl groups. I love lots of girls singing together. The Shangri-Las are just huge favorites of mine, you know. Uh And, you know, I loved the Go-Go's. I loved the Bangles. And so it was natural that we would be friends or whatever because we like a lot of the same kind of vibe of music. Right. But I really got to know Sue a little better when started working on the Austin Powers stuff. Okay. Mike Myers was sort of developing the character. We were sort of in the fake group with him. I mean, that's when I just was around her, you know, for the first time very much. You know, we did those movies and stuff. I kind of went to do a Bangles thing that was like a Bangles and Friends acoustic show one night. This is probably around 2005 or six, I guess. Okay. Backstage, I said to her, you know, you're so great. I'd love to produce something. I love your voice. I always have. And she was talking to Shout Factory around that time, who we ended up doing our records with. Okay. And they really were the ones that said, do covers records together. I mean, I think I kind of imagined it more like we'd write some songs and make a Susanna solo record or whatever. Uh-huh. But it became this thing, you know, and they really wanted us to do it. And we thought, this will be fun. We'll give it a try. And we became very good friends through making the first record together. And your voices mesh so well. It's weird. I don't, uh-huh. They're different, but it does sort of work. It's great because I love her voice, so I didn't have to have as much hating myself, you know, <laughs> as usual, because I could sort of focus on what I'd make her do. In interviews all the time, she'll always go... Matthew came to me and he's like, you're singing this song. <laughs> and I'd be like, really? And it's because, you know, I would always rather hear her, <laughs> her sing cover than myself, you know. <laughs> so now you're known for your knowledge and you have an extensive collection of Margaret Keene paintings. So what is it that attracted you 
Oh, you're so cool to bring it up. Uh, you know, the Keen thing was something my wife and I did even during times when I was really touring a lot and under a lot of pressure. And it was kind of a hopeless search at first. I mean, they were just very rare and difficult to find. To us, we're like, who is this lost era of sort of iconic stuff? It was not taken seriously like art really at the time it was happening. We really just spent a lot of years collecting and researching. And, and you were a consultant on the movie, too. The Tim Burton movie, Big Eyes. The consultants for the movie, we really were trying to tell people we knew that they should make a movie about the Keens. You know, and so we were batting that around with people we knew. And in fact, Scott and Larry, who ended up writing the movie, they wrote Ed Wood for Tim Burton. Okay. And, you know, Larry was a friend of mine all in the 90s. But even in between, uh, like when Tim Burton was with his girlfriend, Lisa Marie, she used to be like in all the movies, okay. um, she was obsessed with kind of the realm of art we were collecting and okay. came over to visit one time okay. and uh, she brought Tim Burton over and we even pitched to him and he knew Margaret and kind of knew about the Keens, but we really pitched to him like their story, you know. So it was really exciting they finally got it sort of happening, you know. And to have Amy Adams play Margaret, who from the beginning we thought was the perfect actress, was really cool. Awesome. Neat thing to be behind the scenes in this whole thing. Yeah, it's funny because the movie came together really right before we moved to Omaha. Okay. We visited up in Vancouver where they were making it. But I swear I looked at Lisa, my wife, it was kind of once it was happening in those final months, I was like, our work is done here (laughs) in Los Angeles. Like it was one of the things we would have most liked to sort of see happen, you know. Yeah, it was the end of a chapter. End of a chapter, yeah. Mm -hmm. They made a keen movie. Very cool. It's funny, I'm now remembering you asked what was it that attracted us to those paintings. And in a way, you know, there's a thing that goes on with them and the eyes and the sort of this intense, like, going into an internal world. Or a person, even you're looking at them, they're experiencing a very internal thing. Over the years, I've learned about secure attachment when you're like a baby. Mm -hmm. And if you get secure attachment, it's really important kind of in early childhood development. And if you don't get it for whatever reason, your mother was more distracted, like that kind of thing, it causes, you know, problems for you sort of in life. At some point I started thinking, you know, it's like secure attachment. There's just something about them. Like, I feel like I'm looking into the universe through them. Okay. Do you feel that way about your music? I do. You know, my music's so internal, you know what I mean? It's uh-huh. very much, however big my internal world is, how big the world of my music is, kind of. When I love it that. Leaves, it's kind of not the same thing or whatever, you know, it's changing out into something else, you know? Yeah, and it's being drawn into that internal world. Cool. Before we let you go, how do you think being from Nebraska has kind of weaved itself into your music, or even the way you handle your career? People really didn't know what Nebraska was. I, we've run yeah. into that, too. We Place hear ya. <laughs> I kinda, it was almost like being from somewhere exotic that nobody knew about. Yeah. And, but for me, I remembered this kind of openness from when I was a kid. And being back here, I can see that just the very nature of most of it being flat, and especially more in Lincoln than in Omaha, where I live, it makes the sky just gigantically open, kind of. Mm-hmm. And that's the feeling that I really had as a kid. I don't know why. To me, it was synonymous with sort of any possibility. Uh. I never felt like I was stuck in one thing. It was like anything was possible. And when you asked that question just now, I kind of ran through my head like, in a way, it works even sort of stylistically. There was not really a style that came from here. Mm -hmm. It's such a central location. 
you can sort of take from all kinds of styles. The way I do take from all kinds of styles, I think, is a very Nebraska thing. Yeah. But to me, country and British invasion music and California soft rock or whatever, all, they belong together, you know? <laughs> right, and, we get that. <laughs> and moving back here, I've really had that feeling of being equidistant from everything or something. Right, it's, yeah. it's cool, it's cool to me, I like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, we're happy to have you back. Well, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. All right, and thanks for joining the show. Really insightful talking to you, love it. It's my pleasure. Matthew Sweet here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Catch him June 30th at the Bourbon Theater in Lincoln, Nebraska. Download his latest album, Tomorrow's Daughter. When we come back, it's platinum-selling Israeli rock star Ninette with her latest album. Keep hanging out with your radio sisters here on the Mulberry Lane Show. celebrities, and everything in between. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, she's one of the biggest stars in Israel, and after winning the Israeli Idol 10 years ago, her debut album at that time became platinum in less than a day. Now, she has won MTV Europe Most Favorite Act twice and recently released her first U.S. record, Paper Parachute. Right now, you're going to get to know Nanette and hear all about her musical journey. Welcome, welcome to the show, Nanette. Wow. <laughs> I liked it. That was beautiful, lady. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, so now you have to tell us what inspired Paper Parachute, both the song and the album. Paper Parachute, I think the name itself says it all. The main issue of this album is the fact that, you know, we know nothing about this world, about this life. We're just trying to live our life. I mean, I can speak only for myself. I'm trying to live my life. To take everything to the edge. Just imagine that you're jumping off of a plane with a, a paper parachute. That's the whole point of the album. And you yeah. feel that, you know, it's kind of sums up your life in that you go to the edge and you take those risks and sometimes you pay for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where did you record this album? This album, actually, I recorded in Israel right before me and my husband, which he's the producer of this album, and we moved to L.A. two years ago. We left everything behind, and we decided that we want to grow, and we want to um, take our things and pack and just go to to the U.S. There's that living on the um, edge again. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah, also in that time frame, you also had a daughter. Exactly. Okay, yeah. So a lot a of changes for you in the last few years. Oh my God, yeah. My life is so hectic all the time. I'm trying to, to make the best out of every day in my life. How has the U.S. been embracing you and your music? Very, very good. I wasn't expecting that kind of a welcoming because, you know, in Israel, people know me and any place that it's not Israel. I'm like, I'm starting over. I'm starting again. And so now when you go places in Israel, you recognize people know who you are and then you come here. Was that an adjustment when, you know, people didn't know you? Yeah, and it's it's I love it. Okay, I mean it's very yeah. <laughs> that was a welcome cool adjustment. Uh-huh. I believe that fame it's not the main issue when you're making art. I mean, okay. yes, you want people to know you and to know your music and to feel related to your music, but it's not the main thing. It's not the main purpose that I'm here. Definitely not. I just want to make people feel 
and touch their hearts. That's my main goal. And that's a good, um, that's a good healthy answer. <laughs> I mean, in, in Israel, it got really, really crazy. Uh-huh. And to me, it was like kind of, it got to a point that it was too much. And I just wanted to feel like just a regular, a regular person, person again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to me, to come to the U.S. and start everything like all over again, it's refreshing because now for me to be in this point of my life and to start over, it's, it's okay. a blessing. So, yeah. Well, if you've just joined us, you're listening to The Mulberry Lane Show and singer-songwriter Nanette, originally from Israel, now based in Los Angeles. One of Israel's biggest stars is now releasing her album, Paper Parachute, here in the U.S. Some of your records you've recorded in Hebrew, some in English. So how do you decide going into the album if if you're going to record in Hebrew or English? I write what I feel uh, when I feel. I don't choose to write in, like, you know, particular language. Do songs come to you in either Hebrew or English, lyric-wise? It keeps changing, you know. Okay. Uh, it depends a lot of the, the inspiration that I'm having and the uh-huh, place that I'm from. in. and mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And the mood that I'm in, of okay. course. And in June yeah. 2015, you released a single called What Happened, which could be considered a foreshadowing of the Me Too movement. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that was That's a little right. ahead of the curve there. Talk a little bit about that song. Unfortunately, you hear about, I don't know what word will describe this horrible thing that those men are doing, you know, to to women. So I decided to write a song. I mean, I didn't decide. It just came out of me when I was so pissed. Wow. I was like, what's wrong with you people? I mean, and then I wrote this song. What happened? It talks about men that are, you know, they're like uh, in a position of power and they taking advantage of their power to just do those horrible things. I'm an artist, and that's the first thing that I can do, you know, is just to write uh, a song. Give a voice to the voiceless. Exactly, Uh exactly, yes. That's why I wrote this song, to, to empower women to listen to themselves and to not think for a second that they're the blame, you know. Or less than, yeah. Mm-hmm. So now as you have gone through your career as an artist, you know, you grow and you change and, you know, even exactly. your move to the U.S. How have your fans embraced your musical growth and how you have changed as an artist? Well, at the beginning, I was, um, I started my career when I was 19 okay. and I didn't know how to play guitar. I, I started to uh, play guitar when I was 25. Today I'm 34. I didn't know myself as an artist. I didn't know what exactly I want to say or want to do or I want to sound like. So everything I've experienced, I've experienced in front of the audience, you know, my audience, the the Israeli audience. Mm -hmm. So every mistake that I did or every, you know, step that I took or everything was very, very exposed. Uh And um, it took me years to find my real voice, my real art, my real, like, truth. And the audience at the beginning, it, 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 it took it really hard. And, okay. yeah. And well, it was in a like, way, they feel like they own you, kind of, when they, they've cheered for you on the Israeli Idol and you won, and they feel like they have a piece of you. But then if it's not really you and you're growing and changing... That's hard to navigate. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So that's what I've from from the audience at the beginning. They were pissed. They were like, okay. where is Ninette that we vote for and what have you done to her? And I'm huh? like, hey, dude, listen, this is my life. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do it yeah. my way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I've sacrificed a lot, but I'm, I'm so happy that 
I'm in this place where I am right now because I've learned so much and I'm still learning and I know that I have a lot to learn and a lot in front of me. It's really important for me to be loyal to myself, and that's what I promised myself. Well, we want to thank you so much for joining the show, Nanette, and we'd love to catch up with you down the road. And if you're ever touring through the Midwest, we'd love to catch up with you. Thank you so much, ladies. Thank you. It was a pleasure for me. Thank you. That's platinum-selling Israeli singer-songwriter Nanette. Check out her brand-new album, Paper Parachute. Coming up next, Thomas O'Keefe has managed the band's train and Weezer, but one of his first jobs was managing Whiskey Town, the band that featured singer-songwriter Ryan Adams. Now he's written a book about his experience, and you're going to hear some crazy rock and roll stories from that time right after this. Keep it right here with your radio sisters on The Mulberry Lane Show. Paper parachute, paper parachute, paper parachute. you covered the mulberry lane show now here's mulberry lane well there's nothing like getting rock and roll stories straight from someone who is there thomas o'keefe keeps the stories coming in the new book waiting to derail ryan adams and whiskey town alt country's brilliant wreck now he was there as tour manager of whiskey town from 1997 to 2000 and he has the stories and the book to prove it welcome Welcome to the show, Thomas O'Keefe. Very good. Thanks. Oh, that's the first. <laughs> good to okay, have you. So now, why was the time now to put this book together and get it out there? Well, that's a great question. I had always knew that I was going to do it. Okay. And it was a very long process. First, you write part of the book, you get the book deal, and then you write the rest of the book. Okay. So that entire process took almost three years maybe a little bit more, you know, I needed the time to do it, you know, and quite honestly, I just found myself in a situation where I had enough time to kind of start working on it. I worked with a great co-writer named Joe A. Strike, who lives in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. He's a college professor. And by coincidence, he also played in a band that was on Epic Records called Watershed in the mid-90s. This will be his fourth book. He previously wrote a book called Hitless Wonder that I would highly recommend. It's a great rock and roll story book about his band. So I always knew, me and him had been friends for 20 years, so I knew that we would always team up and And do do this. this. Obviously, this has been running around in your head, the fact that you would be doing this book. So when it came time to sit down and write it, was it pretty clear how you would lay it out, or was that a process you struggled with? Well, that's called the literary arc. <laughs> <laughs> I throw that out there because it's a word that I didn't know two or three years ago, but I okay. do now. Joe and I sat down. That was kind of our first debate. Because, you know, I played in a band previous to all of this stuff, and I did a lot of crazy stuff, and I also worked with a lot of bands after Whiskey Town, and we kind of went through the whole process and we were like, well, when should it start? When should it end? Okay. So we decided, let's just make the book start the day that I get the job with Whiskey Town and the book ends when Whiskey Town is over. And that's it. So the book essentially starts in May of 1997 and ends in fall of 2000. And that's it. So it's a very tight narrative. I knew that Ryan Adams would not want to participate in this book because there was a previous book that came out about 10 years ago and when ryan found out the person was writing it he called everyone said don't talk to him don't talk to him 
So I knew that was what was going to happen. So what I did was I called everyone in the band first, and I called Ryan last. Okay. <laughs> so has he read so, the book, and what has his response been? He has not read the book. I'm sure if he read it, and I'm sure eventually he will, when he called me many years ago about this other book, I said, dude, I'm not going to, you know, and I have nothing against the author of the other book. His book's a lot different than mine because his covers a longer period of time, and this stuff, I actually lived every minute right. of this book. I uh -huh. saw it with my own eyes. So I told Ryan, I said, you know, dude, I'm not going to talk to this guy who's writing a book because I'm saving all this stuff for my book. Oh. And Ryan said back then in 2007, I'm not afraid of your book. And, and still to this day, he shouldn't. To me, this book is the story of a young genius and the handful of people who first realized it. Uh -huh. I knew Ryan Adams was a genius in 1997, uh -huh. long before the rest of the world figured it out. And my job was to try to help him get through all of it and not ruin it. Uh -huh. Well, if you've just joined us here on the Mulberry Lane Show, you're listening to Thomas O'Keefe. He was the manager of the band Whiskey Town that was together for a few years, headed by Ryan Adams. Thomas has written a book about his experience managing the band and his take on the creative genius of Ryan Adams. The book is called Waiting to Derail, Ryan Adams and Whiskey Town, Alt Country's Brilliant Wreck. You're hearing the stories right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. So it seems like you really did establish a really good rapport with him because of your appreciation of that. Again, this, I, don't, I say this, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but the key to my success of dealing with Ryan back in those days was rooted in the fact that I played in a punk rock band from North Carolina called Anti-Scene that still exists. And Ryan was a fan of that band because okay. Ryan was, back then, was a punk rock kid. So when he realized that I came from a band that he saw as valid, he probably listened to my records when he was 13 or 14 years old. So there was a respect there. There was a respect thing. So if I said, hey, Ryan, maybe you should blah, 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 he would listen to me because he knew that I was coming from a somewhat a valid place. Okay. Now, looking back on that time now, do you feel like he reached his potential? Because at that point, the whole world was ahead. Yes, I realize there's a part in the book where I just, it kind of hit me that, wow, this guy, this is really the real deal. I'm witnessing something insanely special right now, not just witnessing somebody who's pretty good. I'm not surprised where Ryan's career is today. I believe he is reaching his potential. I believe that he will continue to make records until the day he dies of old age, because that's what he does. Right. He True the artists. songs land in his brain. You know, I can't say in 1998 I thought he would win a Grammy or I thought he would do this, but I knew that he was in the A-list of songwriting people, and I knew that it would probably take a long time for him to get there because he wasn't going to play the radio station game and right. do all of that kind of thing. He wasn't going to follow the rules. He was going to get there not following the rules. Okay, well so part. now you have to share, what is your favorite story from the book that you could share with our listeners to give them a, a, a key into what they're in for, this wild ride of this book? Well, I would have to say one of my favorites is the story in the book where we're leaving a show in Portland, Oregon. And Ryan mouthed off to some kids in a car, and next thing you know, they're driving down the road trying to run us off the road at 3 o'clock in the morning in a 15-passenger van with a trailer behind it. Mostly everyone in the van is drunk and screaming and, run over him, run over him, kill him, kill him. And 
this guy is just continuing to trying to run us off the road. I'm driving down this long road called Sandy Boulevard in Portland, Oregon, trying to find a gas station that's open or a cop or something to just try to make this stop. And I eventually stopped in the middle of the road, and it looked like there was going to be a big confrontation, and I floored the van, and all of a sudden everyone started screaming, stop. And the drummer had climbed out the back seat of the van, and when I floored the van, he fell down and landed on the trailer hitch in between the van and trailer, and I drove down the road with him hanging on to the trailer. Oh, wow. So I slammed on brakes. And I turned my head to the right. Ryan was sitting next to me. And I looked out, and our drummer was standing out in the middle of the road. And I was like, how did that just happen? Yeah. Like, my brain was just fried for a minute. The guy sped off, and then he climbed back in the van. Oh, dude. His legs were all scratched up. And so I was driving down the road with him holding on to the, the bar between the trailer and the van oh, with his legs wow. dragging the pavement. Now, that's a crazy rock and roll story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and everybody survived, which is... Everyone incredible. survived, which is amazing. If he had let go of that thing, that trailer would have run over him, and that would have been the end of that. Wow. Going to take a quick break. More stories with Thomas O'Keefe and Whiskey Town. When we come back, you'll hear Thomas's thoughts about Ryan's marriage to Mandy Moore. Keep it right here with your radio sisters on The Mulberry Lane Show, where you get the real scoop behind the music. Well, excuse me if I break... Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Here's Mulberry Lane. If you were just with us, you heard the first part of our interview with Thomas O'Keefe. Now, Thomas is a music business manager, and early on in his career, he managed the band Whiskey Town, which featured Ryan Adams. Now, Thomas has written a book about that time in his life, which includes his take on Ryan Adams' musical genius. Now, the book is called Waiting to Derail, Ryan Adams in Whiskey Town, Alt Country's Brilliant Wreck. Let's get back with Thomas O'Keefe right now. Often I've heard a part of managing is a little bit like babysitting. Do you feel like that's true? Yes, of course, because it depends on where the band is at the level that they're at. You know, if you work with some band that has been around for 20 years and they've been doing it forever, of course they know what to do. You know, I don't babysit bands these days, you know what I mean? This is, yes. we're talking about 20 years ago. But 20 years ago, they would have a per diem that they would get, which was like, I think it was like 25 or 30 bucks a day. Uh-huh. Normally, you would pay them once a week. So every Sunday, here's your lunch money for the week. Yeah. I had to give them their lunch money every day because they spent it all the first time uh-huh. I gave it to them all at once. Right. And then they had no money for food. Right. And then they're like, I'm starving. I'm like, I gave you some money two days ago. I went out to the bar and spent it all. Yeah. <laughs> One time, there's a great story in the book where we're sitting in the RV in the parking lot of the hotel waiting to leave. And like two of the guys are not in the RV yet. And it's time to go. And it's like 11 in the morning. And we were supposed to leave at like 1030 or something. And I go to their hotel room. I bang on the door. I get a key to their room. I go in and they're laying in bed, two dudes on two different beds, laying there watching TV. And I said, dude, what are you guys doing? We have to leave. We were supposed to leave 30 minutes ago. And one of them looks at me and goes, dude, West Virginia 
was playing it. Uh, it was like college football. Like he actually thought we were going to sit there and wait. Wait for him to watch. <laughs> oh my god! Like we're just going to sit here and wait and watch the West Virginia football game because that's right. important. Yeah. We have 400 miles to drive and we're supposed to be somewhere for sound check at five or six Crazy. o'clock. Yeah. Crazy. So now, what do you hope people take away reading this book? Well, I hope that they take away that you know this was an important period of time back then, and it was the beginning of Ryan's career, and it was when we first realized how he is and who he's turned into. And It's real, it's the truth, but it's not a negative book or anything. Right. It's not like that. It's really just the story of, God, this kid is just as good as Bruce Springsteen or just as good as Tom Petty or just as good as Neil Young or better than almost everyone else. <laughs> and he's 22 years old and he's writing songs and he would come home when he lived with me. He was a groomsman in my wedding and didn't show up at the rehearsal dinner because he was jet lagged from the flight from New York to Charlotte. I was like, you can't get jet lagged when you don't leave a time zone. You know, he would come home from being out at the old man bar sitting there by himself and he would come home, he'd pull out a napkin and go, man, let me show you this song I just wrote. And he'd pick up an acoustic guitar, unfold the napkin, sit it on the table and just play some insanely magical, ridiculous song with him singing and playing acoustic guitar. Like, you can't believe how good it is. Mm-hmm. And I was like, when did you write that song? And he goes, oh, like 15 minutes ago. Yeah. Where were you at the old man bar? What guitar did you play? He's like, oh, I played the guitar on one side of my head while I wrote the song on the other side of my yeah. head. You just got that like, brain, yeah. Nobody does that, yeah. You know, so it was kind of just. This is a story about the beginning days of just an insane. I, I'm certain that if he went to bed and took an IQ test tomorrow morning and drank some coffee and really tried, I mean, he's a hundred percent genius yes. for real. Yeah. Now, this time period was pre him meeting Mandy Moore. Is that right? Yes, but by coincidence, <laughs> the crazy part about it is uh-huh. I worked with Mandy Moore. So I was out on tour with Mandy the summer of 1999 oh while Ryan was going back and forth between New York and Durham, where I lived at the time. So some of the time he was staying at my house with my wife, and I was out on tour with Mandy Moore oh when she was gosh, 15 years old. Okay, so yeah. in your wildest dreams at that time, would you ever have dreamt that they would end up together? No, absolutely not. Now, it doesn't surprise me that they did get married because knowing Ryan, I know how hilarious and charming he can be. So Uh I'm not surprised that some girl like that you know, fell in love with him and wanted to get married to him. I'm not surprised. But I would have never thought in a million years this... You know, Mandy was a sweet girl. There's no doubt about it. But I would have never put two and two together and figured out that... I didn't cause them to meet. There's, I'm not suggesting that. that. That was a coincidence. Just another coincidence. A A really ridiculous coincidence that I was sitting in the dressing room doing her geometry homework for her. And while she was doing that, her husband was living at my house. (laughs) That's crazy. That's crazy. Well, hey, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Mulberry Lane Show. Thomas O'Keefe here. You're hearing all about his new book, Waiting to Derail, all about the band Whiskey Town. And it's lead singer-songwriter Ryan Adams. Now, this was early in Ryan's career and early in Thomas's career, and he's written a book about the rock and roll stories that encompassed that time. And then what's next for you? Well, I tour manage the band Weezer. That's my real job. I live in Nashville. I have a lot of other things going on, and who knows? We'll any, see. Any more books in the works? Maybe, but not like this. I think my second book's going to be a children's book. I'm not going to do a... <laughs> the one thing I really learned about writing a book 
is that the right person needs to write the book for it to be good. In the sense that I was the right person to write this book because I lived it, I saw it, I was awake most of the time, I I remember it all. And you understood it on a deeper level, I think, On a deeper level, right. And I have no axe to grind whatsoever. You know, when Whiskey Town was over with, I started tour managing the band Train. I didn't get laid off or fired or any of that kind of stuff. My job just ceased to exist. Right. So I went out and started tour managing Train, and that band blew up, and I saw it all, I lived it all, and I remembered it all. So I felt, this is going to sound crazy, but I felt an obligation to do this because I would hate to fall over dead and all that be gone. You know, I I just felt like it was a great story and I know it it needed to be told. It's interesting because you've gone on to, you know, manage other big bands, you know, but it's interesting that this is the one that it must have been just kind of because it was the beginning days of it and you saw so many things that really stuck with you that this made this more appealing to write about than like Train or Weezer. Right, exactly. This was a magical situation and even though I know he doesn't care about it or he doesn't like to look back, he Ryan gets bored with halfway through an album cycle, he's already complaining about it, wants to go make another record. That, that's what he did, was doing this during the Whiskey Town day. I remember calling him when he went in the studio to record Pneumonia, which was the Whiskey Town follow-up to Stranger's Almanac. And he went in the studio and had a bunch of songs. And I called him like four days later. I said, how many songs have you recorded? And he said, eight. I said, how many of them are brand new? And he said, eight. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, that's just how he is. His brain is just, he has the longest antennas of anyone on earth, and the songs are just landing in his head one after another after another. <laughs> All right, well, Thomas, we want to thank you for joining the show. It's fascinating to hear about the behind the scenes of the book and to share it with our listeners, and we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. That was Thomas O'Keefe and his musical journey with Ryan Adams and Whiskey Town, which has now become a literary journey that you can get your hands on. Make sure you pick up or download the book, Waiting to Derail, Ryan Adams and Whiskey Town, Alt Country's Brilliant Crack. Thanks, Thomas, for bringing your stories and the book to the show today. Who else do we need to thank, sisters? Okay, well, Nebraska hugs to singer-songwriter Matthew Sweet. You guys got to check him out in concert June 30th at the Bourbon Theater in Lincoln. Be sure to download his latest album, Tomorrow's Daughter. And finally, a sister high five to Israeli singer-songwriter Nanette. Now, this platinum-selling artist just released her fifth album called Paper Parachute. Make sure you check it out. And Nanette, thanks for joining the show, bringing your unique story of your rise to fame, how you found your sound and your musical art while living in the public eye. Tough job, but you're doing it great. All right, guys, and make sure you join us same time, same place next weekend. We'll be right here waiting for you both. Stay happy and stay blessed. Allie, don't forget to be awesome. Rachel, that's a wrap. Woo! Baby, take